You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel. And can you believe it? It has been a week since the draft already. Rookie minicamp has come and gone. UDFAs have both been added and subtracted. Valus Jones showed up in a suit the whole nine. And the last thing I said about the draft at the time was that I couldn't believe they took a wide receiver. And I just... I had to get back on the mic. I brought Brandon Robinson with me so that we could talk about what we think of the draft after or a few days after the fact. Brandon, I'm not going to lie. It's good to get away from the hot takes because I can't help but feel like draft hot takes are just the easiest thing to fall into. And oh my word, even just a couple days later, you can have a completely different opinion. Right, right. Yeah, I, it, it, it seems like that's that's where the takes are going. They're, they're spinning from being, wow, that's a disaster draft to to being more lukewarm on on how the, the draft outlook look at the and, and at the uh, risk of sounding like a sh- sunshine blower brandon i think i've even taken it further than lukewarm i mean wh- i want to go through all these different picks with you from top to bottom just talking in general about who we've got on our hands but when i look at this draft if you're not thinking about the 2022 team but just thinking about which of these picks makes the bears better it, to a degree, pretty much all of them do. I mean, obviously things get weird when you talk about a safety in the seventh round, when you talk about each of the individual linemen, of which there are four, starting from five all the way to seven. But overall, it feels like from Gordon through Jones and all the way down to good old Trenton Gill at NC State, the punter, it feels like this draft was well put together it makes the bears better they didn't have a first round pick which we i feel like bears fans have not had first round picks for so long that we can forget just how important they are to let's say the weight of a draft class but i can't help but feel like ryan poles put something really solid together here given the resources he had to work with yeah it's it's funny because i haven't i don't think i've talked to you about this off air yet um so this is this is uh okay funny but uh I was looking at our, our text from a week before the draft, I, and I screenshotted it. And it said, I, I really need to look at some of these corners because I really think that they're going to start, that they're going to fall in the draft. And I said, I need to look at Kyrie Elam. I need to look at Kyler Gordon. And I need to look at Andrew Booth. Because I feel like if one of those guys falls to 39, there's no way that Ryan Pulse is going to be able to pass on one. And I mean, hey, let's be real. There is no telling whether or not the Bears had a trade offer from the Falcons, right? But the Falcons traded up in front of the Bears to go get, I actually can't remember who they took at 38. Was it uh, Ebiketi? Ebiketi? Yeah. 
So somebody that the Bears did not seem interested in, and Ryan Poles said after the fact, we couldn't believe Gordon fell to us. I tend to think that Poles may have been telling the Falcons and Ryan Pace on the phone, no, 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 you got to go somewhere else. <laughs> We're not moving from 39. What do you? But I assume that that means you got the chance to take a look at Gordon, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of his game. I think, other than Andrew Booth, I think he was probably the best fit at, at outside corner for the for the Bears. He has tremendous quickness, tremendous athleticism. I know their their defensive coordinator. Uh, I think his name is Jimmy Lake. Is that his name? Jimmy Lake said that he's the most athletic DB he's ever coached under. Like uh, he he is like the prototypical outside cover two corner that you're looking to drive on the flats and, and make plays. I mean, I've only watched one game of Gordon's, so I don't want to act like this is some kind of deep dive take. His movement is sublime. I watched Special. a bunch of corners going into the Senior Bowl. I watched guys like Mario Goodrich. I watched guy. Okay, to, to give you context, Bears fans, I watched the guys that both that all got drafted in the sixth and seventh round. I was really high on uh, the kid out of Georgia, who Darion Kendrick, who immediately yep. not only tested poorly but also played really badly at the Senior Bowl. At the time we were like. That guy could be a second-round pick, and the only real standout was um, the Alabama kid, the um, the the nickel. Well, he's nickel. He's also outside corner. I'm completely fanning on Roger McCreary's name. Yeah, that's who it is. But turning on Gordon was revelatory. He looked completely different from all the other corners that I feel like I watched in the draft class, which is not like Jacob Infante level and certainly not Danny Meehan either, our resident WCG draft guys. But when you say his movement's special, I just want to bring up a bunch of other names, not to dog on them, but to say he really does stand out. I feel like these kinds of adjectives can get thrown around a lot, right? But that's the kind of guy that you get why he's not making it past 39, 40, 41, max maybe 42, just because there aren't that many human beings beings out there that size that can move like that can charge downfield and hit like that and maybe to me what was most impressive and I'd love to hear your take given that you've actually coached DBs before was his balance his ability to not only play with his hands and be physical and and keep his composure to potentially drive downfield but when somebody did try to take him vertically he was able to just swivel his hips around as if it was just super normal to him and stride for stride follow somebody downfield and play them in fundamentally what Whatever assignment he needed to with a lot of success yeah well you, you hear a lot about his his dancing and the ballet and everything else and like it, it's almost like this um like running running joke about how like it like it might have helped him it might help him blah 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 but like i like i think it very well like helped him quite a bit because like if you if you think about playing bb like it, yeah, you want a guy with really, really good movement skills. But when it comes to it in game situations, you have to have your feet underneath. You have to, you have, to have good, I would call it flow. Like, in like it's almost like a, like a flow state. You're talking about like a, when you think of like a boxer or something, you have to have a good flow state right. from when you're dry, driving on a receiver. And that's when you think of like dancing, you, like you're thinking of always having your feet underneath you. And, that when you watch him, that's that's how he he's always he always has his feet underneath him, and like you you see it in his in his short area testing, like three nine six short shuttle, six six seven three cone. Like these are times that you just don't hear about. Like those are really really fast times. 
and forgive me, I, I need to just ask a basic DB question because I haven't played the position, but it feels like one thing that can get kind of lost in the shuffle, like you talked about, you hear all throughout draft season talk about explosiveness, short area quickness, and a whole bunch of buzzwords, right? I can't help but feel like athleticism looks different for a defender than it does for somebody who gets the ball and then runs with it. Like a wide receiver, for instance, needs to be more, say, explosive than a corner does because like you're saying I feel like playing cornerback you're gonna get fooled eventually it's as much about how you recover and how you recognize plays and get to a spot how you track or trace guys throughout their route as it is about how well you can test and when you're a running back I think running back's the perfect example right you you do need that straight line speed because you're gonna get handed the ball and you're gonna run a straight line and you'll make one or two cuts maybe but when you're a defender I can't help but feel like like you're saying that intangible fluidity that ability to just even if he is fooled his body doesn't act like it right you don't see him quote-unquote break his ankles and just fall over and give up three yards of separation you don't see him on a double move bite down and then get beat four yards downfield where it's one guy in the broadcast frame and it's just the receiver and the corner's nowhere to be found even when kyler missteps it feels like he recovers well enough to stay competitive and force a better throw and i feel like all those little things add up in making what like a 50% completion percentage throw turned into a 20% completion percentage throw and that's a failed third down or that's forcing a third and 10 like that's how defense gets played especially in a bend don't break cover two right right I, I i think the third down part is so important because you get in so many like third and seven situations the receiver catches the ball at five yards and then you'll have so many so many guys that aren't able to click and close on the receiver fast enough, and then he he's able to get that momentum after the catch and then fall forward, which is so important. And when you when you watch Gordon, he is always the fastest person driving on the ball. Every single I, I think even over McDuffie, the guy that was the other Washington corner that was drafted above him, like he is always the fastest person driving on the ball towards it. And, and that's what's so important with playing DBs because the thing is with these DBs, like they're not big. Dude, like these running backs, a lot of these receivers are all gonna be bigger than the corners. But if you if you drive if you're driving on the receiver before he can turn his shoulders, that's when you can be the one that's forcing the momentum in the force instead of receiving the momentum in the force and falling backwards, which is which is so important. Right. Now, I need you to heat check my hype here because we're talking so, so highly this kid, and I think he deserves it. I mean, when I – obviously, any Bears fan is going to get excited when they see, oh, wow, look at all these sites that have first-round grades of the guy we got in the second round. But, I mean, I see it on tape. That doesn't look like an accident. He seems to me like a guy that deserves it. Here's a question. Let's say we're three years down the road, right, and Kyler develops at, I don't know, let's call it a normal rate, like as you'd expect, Right. Do you think he's ultimately the cornerback one over Jalen Johnson? Or do you think that Jalen, a veteran, will always have that spot per se? Like, are we talking about somebody that could realistically wrest that title away from Jalen? Or are we talking about somebody who's, you know, good, but maybe maybe not quite that good? Like, a little bit of role slowing needs to be, you know, taken. I love that you brought that up because that's something that's talked about so much. Like, who's the cornerback one? Who's the cornerback to? <laughs> and it, like the thing, the thing is with football, unless you have like one really good corner 
in one really bad corner, it's left cornerback, right corner. That makes sense. Because the, the thing about the NFL is versus versus high school and even college is the hash marks are really close together. So there's not really a field and then a boundary side. In high school and in college, you'll have a boundary corner and then a field corner where you're looking for guys with different skills and abilities to take advantage of that. But you see Jalen Johnson, he played mostly right cornerback. So I would assume, again, Kyler Gordon, he played a lot of left cornerback. I would assume Kyler Gordon is just going to be the left cornerback. Um, Jalen Johnson is going to be the right cornerback. Because the thing is, when you, when, you, when you switch guys around, and you saw it with Jalen Johnson so much this season, I know past podcasts oh, yeah. we were talking about it. Like, I love Jalen Johnson. He's very, very good. When you ask him to do more than what he should, that's where he's going to struggle, just like any corner. I remember the Packers game. He was following, was, him, following yeah. him into the slot. And it's like, like yes, Jalen Johnson is really good. But, like, you're asking your guy to do more than what he should. You're asking more from him. And, and it's funny because they're the Bears defense coordinator. I can't even remember his name. Decide. He was – no, 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 this year, 2022. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, Alan Williams, is it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but someone asked him about Kyler Gordon playing inside and nickel because that's something that Kyler Gordon – can do and can excel at and williams was like yeah yeah no he's like basically no that's not gonna happen <laughs> don't expect that to see anytime soon he can do that but like right. he's a he's a rookie we're not gonna ask him to do more than what he than what he should he's gonna he's gonna learn the playbook he's gonna learn outside quarterback and then we'll figure everything else off of it and that is so refreshing to hear to hear a defensive coordinator talk like that because it's just th- th- these expectations that we that we put on rookies and young guys it, it always ends up being way more than what it should be right and I mean I'm so glad you brought that up because first of all we never saw Kyle Fuller like shadowing guys regardless of CB1 mantra I mean we I, we were talking about this as recently as the senior bowl that it can be way too easy there's nothing wrong with standard NFL conversation and especially like analytical conversation does a ton to drive I think the game of football forward but you gotta remember that there isn't really such thing as a wide receiver one two three like yes you've got your ordering of options right but if your tight end's the best player on the field, you still have a wide receiver one, technically. It just depends on what role they play. What's the size of that role? And similarly, I mean, going all the way back to 2018, you had Prince of Mukamura, you had Kyle Fuller, and they stuck to their sides. And if the offense put somebody up against Prince of Mukamura and got a great matchup, that was, that okay, good. You got a good matchup. And the flip side of that would be that Sean Desai put uh, Jalen Johnson, like you said, in the slot against Devontae Adams. And I'll be honest, Brandon, I don't think it went well for Jalen. I mean, that, it wasn't <laughs> no. his game, like you're saying. It's like whenever Sean Desai gave Eddie Jackson the green light to play nickel corner. I mean, I respect Eddie's attitude wanting to play nickel corner, but that's not what makes him one of the highest paid safeties in football either, regardless of what you think of Jackson. So I think giving uh, Kyle or giving Gordon something that he can almost hit fuller, because honestly their games remind me of each other more than I want to say out loud. And then, and then you got Kyle, Kyler. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
but so that cover two outside corner, regardless of who is quote unquote CB one, CB two, I gotta say, corner is a. Or I know that this defense isn't quite as corner heavy. Like it's a lit. It helps its corners more than certainly defenses like Todd Bowles is. We're gonna play cover one, and if you're not a good corner, you're just gonna get killed out there. Style of defense, but. Having a cheap, young secondary like Jalen Johnson and Kyler Gordon, I can't help but feel like is a bigger asset than Bears fans like me that really wanted a receiver in round two, even though Wandell Robinson, Tyquan Thornton, I mean, like, the guys that got drafted in the second round were not value picks, to say the least. That was, I wanted to come out of here with a receiver, I need to take him now, or I'm never going to get him. I can't help but feel like, if we wanted value, I mean, I'll even put it this way. It feels like it was a best player available pick, right? Oh, 100%. And, like, I, I, bring, it, I bring it back to the Cole Komet pick because that, that is exactly what the Bears would have done if they, if, if they were doing what every analyst thought that the Bears should be doing, just targeting offense. And it's like, yes, like, that would help Justin Fields maybe year two, but it's like, these rookies aren't going to come in and just like you, there was a interesting quote from, uh, from Sky Moore. And he was talking about learning, learning the cheese playbook and everything. And you could just see by the quote, how overwhelmed he was by an NFL playbook, because the, the NFL playbook, there is so much to it com- compared to a college playbook. Like you, you're checking the defensive leverage and the adjustments and, the mandatory inside release versus the mandatory outside release. And yeah, like it, it would be, it would be nice to draft a receiver, but like it also has to make sense, right? The, the hit rate on second round picks is like 25%. If we can get a guy that we have a first round grade or a sec or a high second round grade on, that's the guy we're going to take. We're not going to take the guy with the lower second round grade. And like you saw Ryan Poles talk about it, in his press conference and you could see him he was using his hands to talk about where he had guys on the board and you could see how high he had the dbs on the board compared to everyone else and it it just wasn't even it wasn't even comparable so i i think ryan poles did the right thing he drafted the best players available and the, the thing is when you hit on these picks right and say they hit on both picks, that's going to give you more flexibility financially and with their draft picks down the line. It, it, it'll, help, it'll help you. Like going into free agency, like if every single DB spot is filled, that gives you more flexibility across the board. Like it, it, it helps Roquan get right. re-signed. Like me and you have gone back and forth with, oh, should they re-sign Roquan? Are they going to pay him $20 million? This, like, hitting on these picks makes that a lot of a, a lot more of an easier decision, in my mm-hmm. opinion, mm-hmm. than it was before when you have all these holes in the secondary. Right. I mean, now you've got, let's say, a vision of what your completed defense would look like, where now you're adding the finishing touches instead of still, let's say, baking the cake. And, you know, a year ago, Brandon, I want to talk about something you said, because I think it's not talked about enough, right? That rookie, how much rookies should do in their rookie season, and specifically how much are they going to do early in their rookie season, where I know Bears fans want to see Justin Fields succeed and, frankly, show improvement as soon as possible. A year ago, before I watched just about any college, 
college tape, I wouldn't have, I would have thought you were crazy talking about just how little rookies do, where it's like, oh no, every year you get a 500-yard receiver. Every year you get a 600-yard receiver. And look at all these first-round receivers that are picking up 1,000-yard seasons in their rookie year. (laughs) Then this year, I watched enough of these guys. Brandon, it is so rare to find a collegiate offense that runs more than four routes out of each of their specific wide receivers. I mean, with George Pickens last year, he ran a circus route, he ran a go route, he ran a post route, he ran a curl route, he ran a dig route. And the fact that he ran five was surprising. And that was 2020 now that I think about it. I mean, these guys run very different offenses. Let's call them streamlined to just be rational about what it is that's trying to happen. Trying to take college kids and teach them to be really good at a smaller subset of plays compared to the NFL where you need to be really good at about 60 to 70 plays reasonably. And those plays are much more detailed. I get what you mean. That if you were going to reach, maybe you would have gotten fields a receiver. And that brings us, I want to talk about the Brisker pick too, but we're just naturally segueing into the Valus Jones thing talking about reaching at receiver because the first thing I thought when I saw Bayless Jones's name pop up is oh gosh oh gosh I know just enough about the draft to know he's projected in the sixth round and immediately Bears Twitter started clowning the pick I I don't know I'm not about to say that I'm jumping on some massive hype train because immediately Ryan Poles comes out and brings up Debo right which that's that's a hot comparison to make nowadays, but I can't help feeling like Valus Jones, as old as he is, with 200-pound weight, 6'0", roughly size, and more, most importantly, that 4'3'1 speed, he might fit the Marquez Valdez-Scantling flyer-out-of-the-flanker role that I know G- or Green Bay used a lot with MVS specifically. That role just got him paid $30 million. I can't help feeling like the pick makes sense, even if it might not have been the sexy pick that a lot of people would have wanted, especially with somebody like Tolbert still on the board. Right, yeah. I mean, when when his name flashed on the board, I was like, that makes sense, especially for the team, but it might feel a little early. Because the thing is, when I was when I was doing mock drafts, I always left with Valus Jones in the fourth round. I loved Valus Jones in the fourth round. He, <laughs> he was like he was one of my can't leave can't leave. if I trade back and acquire a fourth round pick, I can't leave without Valus. Jones. So this was the right guy for you then. Like the yeah. name popping up and everything. That's that's somebody you were like yes. Well, here's the thing. Guess who didn't trade back because they because they took value picks. The Bears, right? So who didn't have a fourth round pick? The, the Bears. Bears. They they don't have that. They don't have that opportunity to get him in the in the fourth round. And the the thing is, I valued him in the fourth round after seeing him at the Senior Bowl, seeing a little bit of his tape because he he, he flashed so much. Like it like it's so weird that they compare him to Debo because the way he flashes to me is down the field. Right. Like I I, I love I love his his vertical speed and in. The, the way he runs his routes off of those vertical stems. And I think there's so much that you can do with it. I think that, yeah, there's, there's some jet sweeps and stuff, especially things that you're going to be able to do with him year one, that you'll be able to use them. But I, I just think there's so much off of them. And the funny thing is I valued him in the fourth round. And I, for some reason, had no, I no idea he was even a returner. 
I had no idea. I had no idea. Come on, that, man. I swear. I had no idea he was even a special teams guy. I the, When he got picked and everybody was complaining, they are like, oh, they drafted a special teams guy in the third round. I was like, special teams guy? What are, what are we what are we talking about? He plays receiver. And then I look back and I see that he averaged 27 yards on a great return. I'm like, okay. I valued him in the fourth round. He, 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 he makes an impact on special teams. I'm fine with the pick at 71. I like Tolbert more. I like Calvin Austin more. But this makes sense when you, th- when you think about, like, when you think about a draft room and the special teams coach pounding the table when you have all similar grades with Calvin Austin, Bayless Jones, uh, and Jalen Tolbert, and then you have the special teams coach pounding the table like we need, we need this guy. There's so many ways we can use him on special teams, and I can envision how they they came to that decision. Take. But I, I, you know, I have to ask. Everybody's freaking out about the 25 years old thing. You mentioned 2021 tape. I mean, I've seen it too. He can blow guys' socks off. If you play him where you potentially, like, you're sitting over the top of him in what looks like man coverage and you bite down, he's going to get past you so quickly that the safety's going to have to honor it. With somebody like Fields who wants to stretch the field, that could be really valuable. But he's obviously pretty old. And he never had more than about, I think, 300 yards until this 24-year-old season. Are you concerned at all that it's just a man among boys? Well, I, I mean, he definitely was like a man amongst boys. And I think you can say that in every way. You can say that age, you can say that when maturity. When when I think when I think about age, where I would be concerned is if a guy was failing classes, right? So he was ineligible for seasons, and that's why he stayed in longer, because he's really immature. And with Vales Jones, you get the exact opposite. You you get a guy that's the most one of the most probably the most mature draft pick that they had this year. A guy that's ready to learn the playbook, excited to just dive all the way in. Like age really doesn't concern me. Would I? If, I'm about to say the same thing that Ryan Pohl said. Would I? <laughs> would I love that he was 19? Sure, I would love if he was 19, <laughs> but he's not 19. I, I I am ta- I am I am taking the player that we have and like all this talk about second contracts and everything, if it comes to where they're in like you want to give him a second contract or you're even thinking about giving him a second contract but you're debating his age, then that was a really good draft pick, right? Right. The the hit rate on second round picks is twenty five percent. The hit rate on third round picks is like ten percent. What do you if mean by hit rate? You know I have to ask, like, just to be make sure we're all on the same page. Do you mean successful player, or are you talking second contract? St- starter, second contract, eligible. A guy okay. you want to give a second contract. Just the basic hit. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about Pro Bowl or anything like that. I'm, I'm talking about pure starter. Right. And I hear what you mean. I mean, I, I think that the Valus Jones pick in this draft, and obviously it's weird when you go into grading. Right. Because first of all, I don't think draft grades are particularly helpful. A lot of times they're just pseudo arbitrary numbers that we throw it. Oh, well, the Jets picked a couple guys I liked right at the top of the draft. So that's an A plus. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
right? But in the fifth and seventh round, it's hard to say this guy's going to stick out. With like that's a pick that I hate. They should have taken this. You get the idea. With Valus Jones, it might be the weakest pick that they had, just on account of the other options that they might have that they could have gone with. Like you're saying, I like Tolbert more. Bernard Raymond was still on there. Hard to tell what in the world's going on with him, but I completely get what that why they did what they did. Like you're saying, I, the comp I keep coming back to is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And every time I say that, people say, he's not Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And I reply, you're right. I'm not saying he is the same. I'm saying I expect Getze to need somebody who's going to stretch that offense, especially with somebody like Pringle that, as we know, is really good at winning inside. We know that Mooney is really good at winning at all sorts of intermediate levels of the field, but can go deep. Somebody who's going to be able to take the top off the defense. The joke I'm basically making about Marquez Valdez-Scantling here, Brandon, is that he'll run like 40 routes a game, and on 36 of them, he's clearing out space, and on four of them, he's running for real, and on two of them, Rodgers throws him the ball. Maybe he only catches one of them, but it's a huge play either way. It wouldn't surprise me if Velas is going to see similar usage where we will see him show up wide open downfield maybe a few more times than I think Bears fans are thinking about because right now they've got all that Debo mindset right they're thinking about him taking handoffs out of the backfield they're taking about thinking about him on quick passes I think we may see a little bit more of fields unloading downfield and would you believe it it's number 12 down there you know what I mean yeah I mean I think that's kind of what the role that they're gonna have for him they're gonna be running RPOs to him they're gonna be running quick screens are going to be running jet sweeps, which is perfectly fine. He's a rookie. You can't, you can't expect him to be doing a, a bunch of other stuff. He's going to be developing. A lot of people want to say, like, oh, he's 25. He's not going to develop. It's like, that's not the case. Allen Robinson is, like, the complete opposite receiver of what he was when he came into the league because he developed, right? <laughs> like, that, that's, what, that's what guys do in the NFL, like, the good players, the smart players, the guys that want to be great, is they develop. They change their game. Like, they get NFL coaching. The, like, the, the Bears have Ty Tolbert. He's, like, one of the most experienced wide, most experienced wide receiver coaches in the NFL. Like, he's going to be perfectly fine. Right. And not to mention, another thing I know that I keep saying is, for as maybe not A-plus as the pick is, a 4-3-1 is a 4-3-1. A 21-year-old running a 4-3-1 is, I think, I mean, that's great, right? But a 24-year-old running a 4-3-1 is still valuable. It's just somebody that hasn't had NFL experience yet. And I know I keep thinking, Brandon, about that weight. A lot of these flyer guys, the guys that run super low times, especially at wide receiver, are either shorter or lighter and can oftentimes get jammed really easily. But, I mean, Velas not only has the tape to back this up, but he's got the weight that says he'll be harder to just dislodge off his route at just about any point downfield. I know I am very excited to just see what he's going to be, especially after all the discussion. But we've still got to talk about the Brisker pick, which we skipped, especially since you mentioned a lack of trade down that didn't open up a fourth round pick. I would say that decision might be the most contentious of Poles' group, but we're going to have to step out of the way for our sponsor break. We'll be right back at or with you Bears fans for Brisker, the back piece of the draft, and a little bit more takes before we get out of here. See you on the other side. It's only a kick, a jump, 
a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back with Bear With Me. I'm here, Robert Schmitz, with Brandon Robinson, talking about a cold shower draft review, a cold takes draft review, more than likely. And now we're going to talk about the Jaquan Brisker pick, which, Brandon, I've needed to have you on as soon as I saw that selection. Because it's one thing to ask you about corner, but this is your wheelhouse. This is safety. Not only that, but it's a safety I think complements Eddie Jackson really well. It's just not the selection that I was anticipating at. All. I mean, this had even popped up for me a bunch of times in mock draft simulators, and I couldn't help but think to myself, nah, no way they take a safety. It's a deep safety class, talking about guys like JT Woods, who went in the third round, by the way, not the fifth. So that's how that goes, right? But they pick Brisker. They maybe, quote-unquote, don't take value. But, I mean, it, he looks like a really good player to me. What are you seeing? I mean, I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not surprised at all. Again, you talk about value, the, the DBs that were going to be there. I remember a specific conversation that we were having in the chat, and I, I remember seeing that safety was plus 850 to be the Bears' first pick. And I said, that makes sense. There's tons of value there because there, there are guys that are specifically going to be there. I'm pretty sure I said Jaquan Brisker like, is a guy that could be there at 39 that would make all the sense in the world. And what do you know? They had a guy that was even better at 39 and then got Jaquan Brisker later. I like, you don't like, you don't get like, he's a guy that was debated at the end of round one. I mean, you get him at 48. Like, I think this is tremendous value. You talk about the fit with, with Eddie Jackson. He's, he's needed a guy that, that is able to play that box role a little bit better um, he's gonna be he's gonna be labeled strictly as a strong safety. Um, that's not really how the the cover two works. You're you're gonna have two guys that are interchangeable, right? So when you when you think about safeties rotating, the safeties rotate based on the offense's alignment, based on motion. It doesn't really work where you just have one guy rotate because he's the bigger, strong safety guy. Like that's. That's not really really how it works, but Jaquan Brisker is able to do things that that uh, I'm blanking on their safety from last year. Oh, Deshaun um, Gibson. Deshaun Gibson. I, I I was just excited to not say his name ever again. I don't blame you. Um, there were a lot of things he couldn't do. I mean, it, I don't want to bring up the same tired comparison that we've been making for four years now, right? Because you know I have to talk about Adrian Amos, who's long, long gone. But to bring up Amos, I mean – we saw in 2021 that Eddie Jackson can make some plays in the box, like knifing into the backfield, doing things like that. But back in the day of Amos, he would drop back in free safety coverage plenty too. I mean, the whole dynamic 
between Amos and Jackson was that, yes, in theory, Jackson was better as the free safety and Amos better as the box safety, but both could play the other role enough to make the disguise work, right? Are you expecting more of the same out of Brisker and Jackson? I don't know how many times I would debate with people on Twitter about how I would say Eddie Jackson is at his best when the Bears are disguising their coverages and he is rotating late, coming de- coming downhill and jumping routes in front. That's how he that's how he got those pick sixes. Is he was rotating down and into coverage, and that's because he has he has this innate ability to just be so comfortable, just not really not really should like just playing off of his heels and it's so special because you don't see it in very very many safeties at all and it's so it's it's so ironic that they that they took brisker because that is that is the number one thing i love about brisker is he is completely comfortable playing off of his heels because the, the the thing is when you when you think when you think about safety is a lot of people just think about a safety that's just backpedal, 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 and that honestly, like how I coach safeties and how I will be coaching safeties in twenty twenty two, like there's there's no such thing as backpedal, like there will not I will not spend a single minute of practice backpedal, like it is a complete waste. <laughs> Like and and that's what I I love about Briscus. He doesn't he doesn't spend any time in it in his backpedaling unless he's rotating into the deep part of the field. And that's how he's able to to drive on routes. And you think about Penn State's defense; they ran interchangeable, too high defense, and that that's a lot of what you're going to see from Chicago in 2022. Yeah, I mean he's a clear scheme fit. Now you talk about how guys don't play out of the backpedal. I have to ask. Does that mean that they just play forward? When you say play off their heels, do you mean that they plant as far deep as they are and come forward from there? Do you mean that they play out of a half turn whenever they need to retreat? No, no, no. Guys 100% play out of their back pedal. Like, Deshaun Gibson lives, well, in, course, but I'm li- saying, li- lives in his back pedal. I just hate it. But how do you say that guys move cheat. backwards? They, they, they open, gotcha. get to a spot, and then settle. And when I when I mean settle is then you're playing off of your heels, right? I gotcha. And, and that's that's what Eddie ja- <laughs> that's what Eddie Jackson does. Like the guy has the most. I, I know this isn't an Eddie Jackson podcast, but the guy lives and dies playing off of his heels. I've literally seen him get beat playing off of his heels one time, and that's by Calvin Ridley. <laughs> he toasted it. Like, that's I remember that game, but yeah, and Calvin the, was the, special. And the, the thing is, when you have two safeties that are able to play off of the heels, and now the Bears do, is you're able to smother coverages, right? Because the thing is, when you when you have one safety that's playing on his heels and another safety that's just backpedaling out into deep space, garden grass like Deshaun Gibson, like the, the, the quarterback doesn't feel smothered. And when you think about cover two, right – you, that's what that's what you're gonna. That's what you need. You need to sm- you need to smother coverage, mm-hmm. especially in that deep middle part of the field. And if you have one guy that's backpedaling the space, the, that that's how you hit those deep intermediate middle parts of the zone. Mm-hmm. I get what you mean. That this could be a very aggressive 
Bears secondary as as soon as the rookies are able to figure out how to contribute quickly. I mean, we talked earlier about rookie expectations. I'm sure the same applies to Brisker, that he's not going to jump in and just instantly set the world on fire. It'd be great, but wouldn't be likely, right? But about how long do you expect these guys to or to take to really slot into the defense? Do you think it'll be a whole season? Do you think it'll be a matter of growing pains? What do you think that the defense would reasonably look like with these two guys in it as quickly as 2022? Slot in as in be starters or slot in as in play very well? Well, I assume they're going to slot in as starters. So then what do you think the results are going to be from there? I, I think... It d- depending on how this regime truly decides to play their young guys, I honestly think DeAndre Houston Carson is going to give uh, Jaquan Brisker a really, a really tough job uh, stealing a job from him. Because I think DeAndre Houston Carson, like knowing his game, he fits so fits well. Fits this this, really well for him. Yeah, so so well in this cover two defense. And he's, he's such a smart guy, and he's going to be able to pick this up so much quicker than Brisker will be able to just because he like he's been in the NFL. He's run similar to high schemes, and a lot of it is just exactly the same. You're just changing verbiage a little bit. Um, but, like, what, once he does, I, like, I, don't, I don't think it'll be too long, and I think he'll be able to play well. There will be growing pains with rookies, like – Playing DB in the NFL is incredibly difficult. Much, I mean, you're going from like the Big Ten where they run the football to NFLs, NFL passing schemes. It's completely different. So I think there will be a, a lot more growing pains with uh, Jaquan Brisker versus Kyler Gordon. But I, I think both will do well uh, quicker than most rookies, honestly, both of them. From a talent perspective, I know you talked about some of the highlights of Brisker at the pick as it was at 48. Do you think that he was worth what it meant to the Bears at the time? Or do you think that, frankly, people are getting too tied up in what it meant at the time, per se, and aren't thinking, let's say, future forward enough to say, you want a better player? Brisker was the best player. I would have taken him at 39. I was fully fully comfortable with taking him at 39. So, I mean, to get him at 48 and to, like, to pair him with what else they have on the team, I, like, I, 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 honestly, like, when people can play, it's so infuriating to me because, it, like, these, like, these picks complement each other so well and complement what they already have in Jalen Johnson and Eddie Jackson so well. Like, I, like, honestly, like, they got – huge steals in what in this year is going to be very very difficult it was going to be difficult regardless of of who they took but the flexibility that these picks are going to give the bears moving forward like you just it can't be understated at all well i mean to your point there is such a thing as creating a log jam and the bears added to very obvious needs i don't I know what you said about DHC. I agree. I love DeAndre Houston Carson. But if we take him for what he is, which has been a career dime back, right? The Bears had 
an unproven sixth round rookie that we like, but he's still an unproven sixth round rookie. Thomas Graham slated as the starting corner opposite Jalen Johnson. They had a they had a career dimebacker as their starting safety with a career special teams ace in Dane Crookshank behind him. I mean, these were obvious needs that the Bears addressed. And then at wide receiver, I mean, let's look at what's going on in the world of the Giants, Brandon. With Kadarius Tony, quote unquote, not on the trading block, the Giants may be forced to release good players like Darius Slayton because they keep adding to it like you can add good players but if you have too many good players somebody's got to go because you can't afford them all right and so if the Bears didn't feel like reasonably somebody like Alec Pierce was worth it because they thought next year we're going to be able to get a receiver that's like Alec Pierce times two and then we're just going to be getting rid of Alec Pierce and why would we deal with that when we could just address safety and be done with the position throughout the Eberflus era, I can see it through that lens. I can't tell if I'm overthinking it, though, to be honest. The problem here is that we're sitting in a day and age where unless you spend big capital trading for a wide receiver, you can't sign them in free agency. They have like an almost 92% bust rate. You can't just draft him in the fifth round, especially if you're talking about the non-Mooney type of receiver, like a bigger guy that plays on the outside. They're just a little harder to find. Guys like even Gabriel Davis are rare, let alone finding true, like, number one wide receivers, to use a colloquialism. I could understand the Bears being where they are, saying, we have obvious defensive holes. Let's just address what comes to us with the best player that we can get. And with a run on offensive players, yeah, it's a bummer. I, I won't pretend that I wasn't, like, pretty bummed. And from a temporary perspective, it doesn't make the offense more watchable to draft the best players available who happen to actually play defense. But I can also see a world, Brandon, where Valus Jones is going to play a role that was somewhat hard to replace. You can't just bring a street free agent in with that kind of speed, size, and contract flexibility with now four years i get where these picks come from even if they aren't the sexy picks that i dreamed up in my own mock drafts you know what i mean right 100 percent. and i like it like that's 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 what's so important is like you talk you bring up alec pierce and i think he's a guy that they 100 percent considered when they were doing their own mock yeah. like simulation mock drafts because i think there was a report that ballard thought that the Bears were going to pick Alec Pierce be- before their pick. And I like I, I think that I think that's funny because they probably did in the simulations multiple multiple times. But in those simulations, Kyler Gordon was never there at 39, right? right? In in those simulations, they took Jaquan Brisker at 39 and then took Alec Pierce at 48. Like the, like these were these were some of the things that they did. And like yeah, it would it would be very 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 fun to see Justin Fields grow immediately with, with these receivers. But I mean, the the time and place will come when the when they'll add receivers. But it, it just didn't necessarily make sense there. Like you, you think you think about the the type of guys that Ryan Poles was drafting, and like you like you heard the reports of George Pickens coming out and like he didn't necessarily make sense. You saw all of the teams that that passed on him. The Chiefs passed on him. They 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 need a receiver. They the Chiefs passed on him three times. <laughs> so I mean and the, the Chiefs are a team that that have taken chances on characters. So like if they pass on him three times, like I, I'm I'm cool with the Bears passing on. Right. Because there must there must be a lot of stuff that they know. And Alec Pierce, like I 
I think that would have been a humongous reach taking him at 39 or 48. I really like Pierce, and I, I can't argue with the value at or that 48 would have been a little much. Even 53 might have been a little much. But last thing I would ever want to do is come across as a blatant homer, though if you don't mind, Brandon, uh, just take a seat back. I'll pour you a glass of Kool-Aid here because as I do think about past uh, quarterbacks that have taken that second step, even with re- receiver talent that isn't that great around them, right now everybody wants to talk about the 2019 Bills. I don't blame them. It's very recent. It's not dissimilar. But I know I keep going back to early Russell Wilson days where the two receivers that Russ really brought up from the forefront were Jermaine Curse, who was a UDFA, and Doug Baldwin, who was a UDFA. I can't help but wonder that with Mooney, who's a thousand yard receiver, Cole Komet, who may not be super special, but he did just catch 600 yards. That's not nothing. Byron Pringle, we know he can play. That I'm not about to sell you on Justin Fields throwing for 4,000 yards. That's not where I'm going with this. But that we might see more value in a COVID draft class or Justin Fields, let's say, finding an extra guy that maybe we didn't expect, making the offense look a little bit healthier than it was. I don't know. I, I can't help but see all of the different ways that the Bears offense as like a whole and schematically last year embarrassed itself. Talked a little bit on Twitter about that just yesterday, that in 2022, even if they're under-talented, even a cohesive offense might help Justin Fields look like he's taking that next step forward from whether it's a process perspective, a little bit of results, even though maybe the game results don't always work out the way we want them to. I mean, I, I think Equimius St. Brown is an interesting guy that everybody seems to float over. Like, I was a big, I was a big fan of him coming out. I was actually at his pro day. Really? I was. Yes, I, I was tremendously impressed with him at his pro day. I was really bummed when he ended up going going to the Packers, and he struggled a little bit with with injuries. It was hard to get him on the field because you, you have Devontae Adams there. You have Alan Lazard, who is a, a, much, a much better fit for that X receiver position. And, like, I, I, I'm actually just excited to see the ways that they envision using it because I, I actually think that he's going to play that X receiver position. Will he be great on it? Great at it? Probably not. I, I have low expectations. But, I, like, I think that that was a ideal free agent acquisition that made it all of the sense in the world. And I think Bears fans should expect him to be on the field because, I mean, he's, he's coming from the Packers offense. He, Luke Getze brought him. Luke Getze didn't get him to not use him. Right. Right. Like <laughs> he didn't, like he, like he didn't, he didn't tell Ryan Bowles, Hey, sign that guy so that I, I can not play him. Right. Like he, that's, that, that's not the case. He, he's probably going to be the, the X receiver because Darnell Mooney is your prototypical Z receiver. Pringle is a slot guy who I think is going to be pretty decent in that role. So, like, I'm excited to see what he, what he does. Like, the, the, the thing is, like, like, I'm more worried about the offensive line right. than I am the receivers, right? Like, having sweet receivers is is awesome, right? Like, you've seen it across the league what, what can happen, right? But the thing is, the the floor is a lot lower with bad a bad offensive line than it is with a bad receiving core, right? The ceiling is higher with really good receivers that 
than it is with really good offensive line. Right. But the, the Bears aren't competing. So I'm not worried about the ceiling. I'm worried about the floor. And the floor of this offensive line is the floor. Like, it, yeah. it's the bottom. I mean, that's... <laughs> it's 32 well, out of 32 teams. That's what's really scary about this offensive line. I think that... There is a world, I mean, I've done this all my life, Brandon. I've got like 15 years of practice spinning the brightest of bright side as to what could possibly happen with the Bears. But there's no way to talk about this line as if there aren't a bunch of question marks. Whitehair has not been great. Like, the the most optimistic of Bears fans would say he's not been himself since 2019. But he's not looked awesome in that left guard role, pretty much just about no matter where the Bears put him, since he was, I don't know, a center that moved back out to left guard. Larry Borum had his moments where he looked really solid. Certainly, I think he's earned a shot at playing in his second season because a lot of people take a step forward in their sophomore year, but he's a question mark. So is Tevin Jenkins. So is Lucas Patrick. So is the massive hole at right guard. And if two of those question marks or more get answered in the negative, that doesn't help. Like, that's a real problem that the Bears have to work through, especially given just how much we saw a bad offensive line derail Justin fields last year i mean we just watched that and it was not good for us i mean september probably and october before november i'd say he kind of started to put things back together but that does bring up the back piece of this draft class brandon between uh braxton jones zach thomas doug kramer the center and jatiri carter out of Southern University. Did any of them catch your eye when I know you went back and watched them? Or do you think that they're all more or less what you'd expect, fifth-round pro- projects that might turn into something, but it may take a little longer than some magic 2022 riding in on a white horse savior? Zachary Thomas really, really stood out to me. And like it, it seems from all the reports that they kind of view him as a right guard, which is which is very, very encouraging because when you when you look at him on tape like that's kind of what you see out of him you like you see a a mauling a mauling guard like that's 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 how i envision him and he, i think he, te- he tested pretty well uh as well so that, i mean that, that's that's a very very good thing i think he he's a, a little bit more technical than what you would expect out of a out of a guy that's playing left tackle for san diego state and i think he's more playing um, left tackle just because he was the best guy on their line. And that, that's what you see a lot out of these lower levels. You just see the best guy playing left tackle. I think he's going to fit in really well at right guard. Whether he's going to be the starter or not is a completely different question. Like, again, where I get back to these rookies, like, like I have zero expectations for rookies, so I would rather him not start. So I'd rather them bring in somebody else. But I think that he could develop into a right like a starting right guard. And when you're talking about a, like a six round pick, like that makes me pretty, pretty optimistic. Oh yeah. Now Bra- Braxton Jones at a Southern Utah, he tested extremely well. But when you, when you look at his tape, he's extremely raw. Uh, he has, he has vines for arms, but he doesn't know how to use those vines. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad he was a very, very solid pick and, I mean, when you're talking about day three offensive line, like you want guys with long arms that are really good athletes. But like, again, expectations are even lower for him. Like he's, he's going to be a, a practice squad guy 
that you're looking to develop in practice, right? Guy, fans always talk about like, oh, these guys need to, these guys need to play. They are playing. They're playing in practice, right? right. Where they're not in where they're not getting Justin Fields killed. They're <laughs> they're getting Trevin, Trevor Simeon killed in practice, where he's not actually getting hit, but he he's getting killed. <laughs> right. So I mean. I mean, and that that Doug Kramer was another guy that they took. When I uh, when I look checked him to film on him, I know he he tested a lot better than Sam Mustafer, but uh, his film was very very uh, discouraging, honestly. Like he he played in an okay. outside zone system. He he knows how to he knows how to reach a three tech, but the thing is, when he he reaches the three tech, he goes straight to the ground. So he, he gets that he gets that uh, that 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 initial punch that uh, that initial hand uses, but it just seems like for whatever reason he he just finds himself on the ground. That's somebody that I know. Uh, first of all, I heard Bill Zimmerman say the same thing when he talks about exactly. Yeah. So that's that's mm-hmm. two. He seems like uh, so there was a Bears player. Uh, most know his name, uh, but I won't bring it up. That was known. I for know exactly who you're gonna say. A the, speed the guy that the guy that was finding. Well, actually, no, you might not be talking. There's, the guy that was finding himself on the ground a lot? No, I think I was, I'm thinking of a different guy. You might be. I was I was bringing up the fact that Charles Leno was known as Speed Bump Charlie by a certain community of Bears fans. And ironically, the Kramer stuff that I know I've seen, because it's not been a ton, but I've seen enough to see the, the same thing that you're talking about, Brandon. He gets in the way really well. I mean, I watched him spring a lot of runs where he got in the way, he inhibited the defensive tackle getting into the lane, and then the running back got past him, and the fact that he was on the ground didn't matter. But in the NFL, that may not work. I mean, if you get dumpstered by the, the hardest part about all these rookies, and I think this is why you talk about the expectations, right, is that you go from... I need you to make plays at Illinois against whoever we're playing. I need you to make plays, even if it's Ohio State, against Michigan State and Rutgers. And once a year, we'll play a team at our level. But most of the time, we're going to play guys that aren't planning on playing in the NFL, let alone actually trying to. And then all of a sudden, Brandon, if you're in contention to start, you got to make plays against Jeffrey Simmons. You got to make plays against Kenny Clark. You got to make plays against Khalil Mack. You got to make plays against established NFL veterans that are not only good, they're great. And if you can't hang at that level, you're not a starter. I mean, it's a cruel business, right? Obviously. And so if Kramer gets put on his butt too fast by Kenny Clark, he's not going to start. But hey, The best part about the way that polls manage the end is that we're not looking at only Braxton Jones saying, maybe he'll contribute one of these days. We're not looking at only Jatiree Carter saying, who knows, what could they be? We're looking at a shotgun approach of four different, very athletic guys in their own rights saying, man, if we get a starter and a depth guy out of these four picks, that's a real win given that all of those picks came out of just two picks. 148 and 150 and a bunch of trade downs created four players at offensive line and Dominique Robinson who rules. Right. I mean, honestly, you just want one of those guys to eventually make the 53 by the end of the year. Right. The the other three can just sit on the practice squad the entire year. You're hoping that one guy eventually makes himself valuable enough to 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 make the 53 but the thing is this is a developing offensive line so you want and you want as many 
young guys that can develop as possible. Because when when you think about young assets that are going to develop, that are become going to become value, that's that's what you want out of these young guys to develop into. So you're hoping that one of those guys eventually develops into the. If two of them end up developing into that, then even better. But you're hoping for at least one. Right. Overall, though, when you take a look at this draft class, any particular feelings one way or another? Did you like it? Did you hate it? I loved it. I loved it because I, I loved the Kyler Gordon pick. I loved the Jaquan Brisker pick. Baylor Jones was the guy that I wasn't leaving mock drafts with. So, that I mean, you, you can say it wasn't a good value pick, and I would probably agree with you, but at the end of the, at the, end of the day, right – Without a first round pick, you're look. You want basically two. You want to hit on two guys. I think they hit on two of those guys in the second round. So you got two there, and, and then you got Bayless Jones, who can be used in a bunch of a bunch of j- different ways, and that that brings up his value, right? Because a lot of third round picks, you're not going to be able to see them right away. Right. You're going to see Bay- you're going to see Bayless Jones. Right away, I promise you. And the guy that we haven't talked about that I know we both love is Dominique Robinson. Oh, yeah. This, this guy's been playing. Now, it, it wasn't a match, but this guy's been playing DN for two years. And the, the thing I love about, uh, best about him, he has a 40-inch vertical. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you do not see 40-inch verticals from DN. And, it, and it's not like, right, like we watch the tape. We maybe didn't see it, and then he jumps to 48. I mean, a 40-inch vertical. He was a guy that, between me and you, really stood out at the Senior Bowl because of that burst and explosion, and that translates to the testing. You see that 40-inch vertical when you watch him play, and maybe yeah, he has one one move. But you look at a guy like Travis Gibson, who was even raw, right? Because he mm-hmm. was playing, he wasn't playing defensive end. Well, he wasn't playing an outside defensive end. He's playing defensive in interior, right? Exactly. Even though that, like, they call it defensive end, and so, like, that's that is an outlook that you want to develop, right? You want a high, high upside pick. I know Brugler was in, insanely high on him. I I love him. I love the pick. So I mean. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a really good draft class, especially with the assets that they have. On Dominique Robinson in particular, last time uh, Bears banter happened with Bill Zimmerman, he had EJ Snyder on. And EJ brought up something that I hadn't thought about at all. I mean, I can't believe I went this long, Brandon, all the way through draft season and didn't talk about the fact that it was the COVID year draft class. So your later rounds were going to be a little bit deeper than you traditionally get. It's part of why you had so many UDFAs get signed across the last couple weeks because there's just a lot of dudes out there that might have a little bit of talent in them and maybe teams want to go get a second look. Dominique Robinson's a classic example of, look, Brandon, you and I both know the the percentage of edge players that hit out of the sixth round is hilariously low. 
I mean, it is hilariously low. But Robinson fell for all the right reasons here. I could tell the story about how we were at the Senior Bowl. I'm pretty sure there's a draft podcast where we talked about this in one of those post-Senior Bowl wrap-ups where we went, who's that dude? He looks he looks huge. That guy looks athletic. Uh, the guy wearing a random Miami of Ohio helmet. And then he pops it on, walks in on 11 on 11s, beats Trevor Penning with a, with a speed move immediately, and taps Kenny Pickett on his way across the field. And that was his one rep that we saw. And we went, oh, my gosh, who is this guy? I mean, mm-hmm. like like you said, if he's got one move, that's more than some have already. He's ridiculously athletic and he fell for the right reasons if you will like if you're looking for value it's because he's young at the position he was a wide receiver for forever also you know there's a joke in there about the bears adding at wide receiver or double dipping but (laughs) we don't need to make it uh the the point is I, i can't help but feel like this draft class leaves a lot to be excited about and the best part is that if the bears have issues like if not all the dominoes fall and they're not very good well, we may get to watch a lot of rookies get some playing time that wouldn't get playing time on other teams and just get to see their development live. There's a chance they have Zach Thomas pegged to be their starter, which means that for better or for worse, you'll get to see a rookie grow immediately. If they trade Robert Quinn, you better believe that's because Dominic Robinson's going to take a role in the rotation for better or for worse. Obviously, Valus or the top three picks are going to be playing almost immediately. I mean... There's a lot of fun within this draft class, and I can't help but feel like it helps build them for the future. The only real drawback, and I want to get your thoughts on this before we get out of here, consider this final thoughts, is that this draft class didn't do a lot to make 2022, let's say, better. But I can't help feeling in my own reflection over the last week, Brandon, like maybe that's a reminder that the rookies were never going to save 2022, right? That even if they had drafted, quote-unquote, all the best guys on offense or something like that, that even if they'd taken Bernard Raymond in the third round and George Pickens in the se- or in the second round, that that wasn't going to make this offense tremendously different than it is right now because the rookies don't really take hold until that second year, right? Yeah. I mean, I just talked about it playing this same round. Like, he would have started over George Pickens day one. I said that... Before the draft happened, it sounded ridiculous. I'll, I'll say it again: He would not be starting over Quinn St. Brown, right? He he's played in the offense, right? So it, it like you want to draft the like people want to draft these rookies on offense so that they help Justin Fields. They're not helping Justin Fields when they're on the bench. They're not helping Justin Fields when they're thrusted into the lineup before they're ready. They've run the wrong route. Justin Fields holds the ball. And then gets crushed in the pocket. That like that's that's not helping Justin Fields, right? Yep. Helping yep. Justin Fields is helping him long term, setting this team up to have success, right? If the defense develops and is really good, right, and the Bears are up and they're not down, that is helping Justin Fields, right? You like you always look at that stat where it's when Zeke has twenty plus carries, the Cowboys win, right? Right. That's because they're that's because they're up and they're running the ball, right? Right. The Dak Prescott isn't getting hit late in the fourth quarter when they're up because they're not they're not passing the ball. And, and so, like, defense helps Justin Fields. So sure. It, it might not, and you might not audit like be able to see it visually that easy. But at the end of the day, hitting on these picks 
is what's best for Justin Fields. And you know what, Brandon? I'll I'll break the Kool Aid back out of the fridge, right? Maybe there's a chance that because the Bears don't have a gaping hole in their secondary, because for the first time in years, Brandon, with Thomas Graham as, let's call him CB3, like outside corner three, though maybe he's a nickel guy in the future. I don't know. Like, it's, it's hard to tell. But the Bears have an extra DB that should somebody get hurt, he can go in the game, and it's not, it's not near as depressing as Kendall Vildor being the first off the bench, or let alone Kendall Vildor being a starter, right? So now that the Bears don't have gaping holes at that position, and they have, at the very least, decent veterans across the rest of the defense, maybe by week eight, the defense knows what they're doing, and they're holding teams in some cases, because it probably won't be every game, to a low enough point total that Justin Fields gets to be the hero right? Where he only has to score 23 points, but he gets to punch in that late game touchdown to win 23 to 21. Stranger things have happened, right? Where even though I know it's weird to say that defense is helping Justin Fields develop, but if the defense does put together a decent season, it'll create some, not a crazy amount, but some opportunities for Justin Fields to make a play or two that puts the offense in position to win a football game. And I mean, that's really all anybody wants, right? I would love him to be a top 10 statistical quarterback. I really would. But I can't help looking at these average offenses. Like the Vikings were 14th last year, and they got some guys on their skill positions. Like, it's hard to be even an average offense in the modern-day NFL from a talent perspective. So given where the Bears are at, I think all I'm wanting to see is better offense and as good as the defense wants to get, I don't know, surprise me past a certain point. Because right now they've got a lot to cheer for in the secondary. And I think that goes a long way in the days, today's world. It, it definitely definitely does. That, I mean, that's, that's where the NFL is changing. It's only going to heighten more and more as the years go on. The secondary is incredibly important. At the end of the day, if the Bears are down by 20 points, every every third quarter and Justin Fields just has to throw the ball 30 plus times in the second half behind the worst offensive line in the NFL that's a problem right Ryan Poles please sign Eric Flowers he, he's <laughs> he is a decent football player now he like since he switched to guard he's a completely different football player please sign Eric Flowers I don't want to I love Zachary Thomas he looks good. He looks like a good developmental piece. I do not want him starting at right card. Like you're saying, I mean, it's one thing for a fan to be hopeful, like me, and say, hey, this guy, Rashad Coward, flipped from defensive tackle, and he seems like he can tie his shoes at right tackle. Maybe the Bears found some value there. Like, it's, it's one thing to get really excited about the rookie playing, but... <laughs> God, like, lest we put in a rookie too early and they end up embarrassing themselves, like, there is a flip side, right? It's it's going back all the way to the 2020 offseason where people were doing that, what is it, the snorting emote? Like, the, the I'm pumped up emote with Kindle Vildor is going to surprise people. <laughs> like, I mean, that... That was there uh, not too yeah. long ago. So I, yeah. I get what you mean, where a sure thing at right guard would do a lot of it would do a lot of Chicago hearts a lot of good. Because if Z let's put it this way, Brandon, you probably wouldn't have a problem with Zach Thomas beating Eric Flowers in camp. If that happened, that's great news. But Flowers as the benchmark is a much better feeling than 
well, I don't know. We're just going to try out this rookie and hope for the best. I mean, depth at the offensive line is so incredibly important. If you like, if you had a it, like, that's a great situation to have. Yeah, because guys problem. on the guys on guys on the offensive line get hurt. They're very teams that start their starting five all seventeen games is very rare in the NFL. Very rare. So you need depth on the offensive line. The Bears have zero depth on their offensive line right now. They they signed Julian Davenport from the Colts. He is awful. <laughs> awful. And he's their swing tackle right now. And then Brian Dozier is either the starter or the backup at right guard. And he is awful. Sam Mustafer is the backup center. He's awful. I, I think you can actually do worse there. But he's awful. He's not, I don't even know. not starting caliber, at the very least. I, no, he's awful. I don't know. I didn't even know who the backup left guard is. Like, I, I guess you can say that's Brian Dozer too. He's awful. So like, they they yeah, have some work to do. <laughs> I'm, he, double awful. They, they they have some work to do. I, I'm not. They have plenty of time to sign those type of guys. I'm sure they'll look to after sorting out the rookie rookie minicamp. I know that's solely where their focus is. A lot of people don't truly understand. Like, Matt Arifus didn't even know who – and Nick Moriano asked him who a player was. He's like, who? What number was he? Because, like, they have 50 new guys. Like, there's no way the coaching staff could possibly know who they are. All the scouts and the coaches, that's where their sole focus is right now. Right. After that, hopefully they'll be looking to sign guys. Hopefully a couple of guys get cut and they bring some guys in. I'm, I'm sure they will. And you know what? I'll drop this because we can do another podcast on this. This one's long enough. But, I mean, I think that it's easy to forget that cap squeezes and cuts are a real source of additions. I mean, we talked about the Giants earlier, and I know I already brought up Darius Slayton, but there is very likely going to be an odd man out in in Big Blue with Kenny Galladay, now Wandale Robinson, Kadarius Toney, Darius Slayton, and others already in that room. You brought up or the multiple. St- oh yeah, plenty. I mean, you brought up the Steelers, right? Where they now added George Pickens to a room that already has Deontay Johnson and Mapletron, among others. I mean, I we could list off a bunch of different teams. Who's to say where the value really is? Maybe the Bears swing some huge trade that we never see coming, like something for DK Metcalf or something like that. It there's no easy way to just point and be like that. That's what's going to happen. But there are options because the offseason doesn't end at the draft. And by the time that training camp really starts, I do think that there's going to be opportunity to get better. Maybe not better in the eyes of winning a Super Bowl instantly, right? But certainly better at right guard or finding another receiver if they want to, to try to potentially do that for cheap. Right. Like these these coaches, the front office, they have eyes. They're going to see Sam Mustafer at right guard, or they've seen him at right guard. They've seen Brian Dozer at right guard. I'm, I'm sure they understand that these guys are terrible, and they'll look to, look to sign somebody. If not, it's going to be a long season for uh, Justin Fields. Yep. Awesome, Brandon. Thanks for jumping on. Anything coming from you over the next couple months? No, I have some, I have some news that will be uh, breaking relatively soon, but uh, until then, no.
Nice. Awesome. Well, for me, you can keep your eyes on Run Pass Opinion, my YouTube channel, where I'll be going through the different draft picks, talking a little bit about film review and what I can see from there. Keep your eyes on the Windy City Gridiron podcast channel, as always, for consistent off-season content. And I know a lot of guys that know a lot more than I do about these UDFAs are going to be talking a lot about them going forward. Plenty to come. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with me.